Chapter one, take two. Two. She'd write and tell Jean about it, because Jean knew about kissing and going out with boys. When Jean had gone to live with her auntie, she'd been allowed to have makeup and nail polish and could buy anything she liked with her money. She used to dress up and go to the milk bar with other boys and girls. A lot of boys had liked her, taken her for rides on their motorbikes. At church on Sundays, Jean would tell her what they did. Then Jean had started going out with just one boy, called Rick. She was in love with him, and he was in love with her, and now she had someone of her own, a baby of her own too, but she didn't write any more. Well, I don't know about him, Ada said. I think you ought to be careful about him, as though Ada knew him. People always seemed to know things that she didn't know, seemed to know each other, even when they'd only just met. Might not be the one for a girl like you, Daisy said. But who will there be? Who will there be ugly enough to like or love me so that I can have someone of my own? She opened the door and went up to her room. It was cold. It was Friday night and the weekend stretched out rawly before her. Tomorrow she'd get her work done, then sit in the room and wait. Then she'd walk, pretending to go somewhere, returning in time to help with the meals, wash the dishes, scrub and clean. Then she'd come back to her room and think of having someone of her own with a house just for the two of them, a house painted cream with red window frames and a glass front door. They'd open their gate, walk along their path, unlock their door and go into the kitchen with its floral curtains, green cupboards and drawers, Nico stove, pots and pans, dishes, cutlery, tablecloths and tea towels. In the evenings, they'd sit in armchairs with the wireless going. There'd be tasseled blinds to pull down over the windows, Feltex on the floor and pale wallpaper with silvery stripes running down it. On one wall would be photographs, one of her mother. She couldn't think of who the other photographs would be of. Anyway, there'd be lace curtains at the windows gathered to the sides and held into place by frilled ties. There'd be glass swans and wooden elephants on the varnished windowsills, a clock and a vase of flowers on the mantelpiece. Jean and Rick had a house with a lawn in the front and a yard at the back where there was a garden and a revolving clothesline. They had furniture, some of it new, and they were saving for a washing machine. They would have the washing machine by now, she thought. Sometimes in the letters Jean told her what she and Rick did, what men and women do. But Jean hadn't ridden for a long time. She knew she didn't want to do what men and women do. On Sunday, she would go to church and walk back to Mrs. Parkinson's to spend the afternoon there, and Mrs. Parkinson would give her her church papers to read. Perhaps there'd be a coat for her. In the afternoon, she'd walk home in time to help, then after the cleaning up had been done, she'd go to bed and wait for Monday. But there were more things now that she could think about while she waited for Monday to come. There was a warm, steamy grill room, fish and chips with runny eggs on top, and a kiss on her cheek that no one could take away. Welcome to Chapter 1, Take 2! The podcast where we read the book and watch the film and then discuss the adaptation. Run by two white lesbians! I'm Brianna. One of the white lesbians. And I'm Maddie. The other white lesbian. And today, we're reading... We're talking about... We're reading. We're going to read a whole book. No, yeah, a whole book. That's going to be the whole episode. We are talking about... The Incomparable Cousins 
by Patricia Grace of Nati Raukawa, Nati Toa, and Te Ati Awa descent. Mata Cousin Makarita. You remember? When we were young. What happened to you, Mata? Kia ora. Kia ora, te whano. Ke te pihe, koe. Ke te pai, oh. Kia ora. Um, Mary and I have been learning a little tadeo that I've been bringing home as part of my study of uh, my master's of teaching learning. I've had the privilege to learn a bit of tadeo and um, mori tikanga. So we're going to start today with the whakatoki. Mm. And the whakatoki is, he waka eke noa. A canoe which we are all in with no exception. And that is just about how we're all in this together. And I... Oh, sorry. We're all in this Okay, this, so this we can interrupt with. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, okay. And the reason I chose that Fakatoki is because Cousins is definitely exemplary of... Like, exemplifies this Fakatoki. Um, there, especially with Mata's storyline, there are a lot of Mori who recognize her even though she doesn't feel connected to them they are connected to her and they look out for her like one of their own mm-hmm. um and i think that there's also a struggle that's inherent in cousins but for all of the the three women the wahine um in determining how because there's a real sense of um the good of the many in in mori tikanga versus the good of the hot the, the good of the one mm. and i think the women um are trying to figure that out and how to keep that sense of moritikanga alive, that sense of the good of the many, whilst also pursuing their own individual paths as 20th century women, uh, particularly with Margareta's storyline mm-hmm. um, and Polly and even well, What did you think about that, the fact that the film is set in modern times, whereas the book is set more, um, well, it was released in 1992? So we got to see like some interesting scenes of like mm. modern day Wellington. Yeah. Whereas in the 90s it didn't look like that and there wasn't all the cell phone use and stuff. Do you think it at all impacts the realism of not being able to find Mata? Or do you think still today it is very easy for families to be separated and individuals not to be found because they get lost in the system? That's a great question. I think... For Mata, because she doesn't seem to be online, yeah. it would still make sense. Yeah. But I think it's definitely, I think it's cool that it was set today. Cool. Yeah. Why? Uh, well, let's give some context. Sure. Give us a summary. Um, okay. Where do we start? We, the story opens on Mata. Yeah. So cousins, there's three, there's three cousins. Yeah. Mata, Makareta, and Missy. Yes. Uh, why isn't, um, oh. Oh my god. I was just going to say, why doesn't Margareta's name begin with an M? <laughs> they all begin with an M! Missy and Mata! Oh my god. Please continue. Oh. Don't listen to me. Silly Mary. With an M. Um, <laughs> That's funny. Um, so we, we, the, story, the book opens on Mata. She is a grown woman. She is um, a grown-aged woman. She is walking the streets of Wellington she has nothing but the clothes she's wearing. I thought her shoes, a photo, and her name. That's what she says. Yes, 
And I, I thought, for me, mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure if this was just me misinterpreting it, because in the film, Makareta finds Mata in the CBD of Wellington. I always imagine Mata, at the beginning, when she's walking, she was on, like, a classic New Zealand highway, like, alone in the dark. Because she talks about how there's no lights. So I thought she was, like... In the middle of nowhere, but I think maybe that's just me, like me deciding what I'm visually thinking about, and not actually, you know, it's like me finishing the thought before I've actually read the whole sentence. I definitely thought she was on a less populated part of town, like maybe out where the industrial side of things, where there'd be fewer lights because sure. the but, signs don't line up. Yeah, but it talks about how she's like walked over fields and has like walked until her feet are bleeding. Like I thought she just walked out of the city and just was walking and walking, and then she lies she lie she lies down in the middle of a road. I guess yeah. I latched. I also latched onto all the street signs that she talked about though too. Oh sure, sure. Um, just obviously my misinterpretation, but sorry. I don't, I don't think it's a misinterpretation. This is really detailed for. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> so sorry. We open on Mata, and then we go between for the first part. Mata's first part. Every woman um, has two parts. Um, Two sections of the book. Yeah, two sections of the book. Yeah. So for Martha's first part, we go between this point in her life and her early childhood. Yeah. Up through her kind of mid mid middle aged. She's not that old at the end. In her thirties. At the end, is she like in her forties or fifties? At the very end. Yeah. In the film, it's said reading a synopsis that they're all in their 60s but yeah i, I, I was imagining their 60s but i i didn't i didn't realize that they were that old but i guess for me it, i just can't i get real sad and i and it was me thinking about i was like she can't be walking and homeless in her 60s that's just too sad oh no i think she was oh that's fucking sad <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then so we find out that mata uh, is the daughter of Anihera left to marry a Pakeha man mm. um, and that he didn't really want a Māori wife and didn't really want a Māori child. Yeah. Um, he just wanted basically a slave and a cleaner. But then, and that's said in the book. That's yeah. not my interpretation. Um, so then... She, but she dies. Anihana yeah. dies. Anihera dies. Anihera. And the dad takes... Uh, Mata. Mata. And assigns her a guardian. Um, and the guardian just sends her to a boarding school and treats her really poorly. Yep. And then um, she she grows up in the boarding school and then she spends three weeks with her family who have been looking for her all this time. Mm. And that's when she meets Missy Makareta for the first time. And there's a sense always through the whole book that Mata is missing something yes. that is. She, she says so many times, people say things and I don't understand what they mean. Yeah. And, and like, then they start laughing and she doesn't know what's yeah. funny. Like um, that, that quote that they took in the movie was beautiful. I'm so glad they included that. Yes. Um, there's so many points when Marta says that. Marta's story I found the saddest because it is just so much about the isolation that she feels because she's been stolen from the world that loves her and she belongs to. And, and so she never feels like she belongs. No. But she, she always did. That's so <laughs> sad. She was always wanted. Yeah. Um, and then she's, and this is, you know, we talk about stolen generations from many indigenous people. Like there's the same thing with. The in, indigenous youth in America. Absolutely. Yeah. 
100%. There seems um, to be like a system of colonization where they take indigenous well, children out of their homes and send them to white boarding schools. Well, it's a great way to break an entire culture and people, isn't it? You, yeah. You know, as, and oh, we were talking about this. You were telling me. And white people can feel bitter about it because they're like, oh, we're, we're educating sa- we're them. Saving, yeah, we're yeah. educating them. We want them to be we're part of our culture, them but we Christian. need to make them better first. Yeah, I, I thought that was also really interesting for Patricia Grace to write Marta's character with that religious influence from the boarding school. I really understood a lot of it, a lot of that very black and white this is evil this is not evil if i do this i'm evil yeah well we get a lot of uh, internal monologue for mata which is amazing because she's talking about herself being dirty and ugly when she's obviously not at all but that's how she ultimately decides to marry sunny the boy she meets later is because he's also ugly enough to love her ugly enough to love her what a tragic way to find a partner Uh, fuck so, yeah, we get that story. She eventually is taken back to the to the um the home for desolate children, and then she grows up there. She makes one friend called Jean, and then she gets a job in a factory and she lives with in a boarding house and she pays Mrs. Anderson most of her salary, mm. who is her appointed guardian uh, to pay her back for all the years that she looked after her. Um, and then Ada, who is also Maudie, works at the boarding house, at the um, factory where Martha works and kind of gets her to be slightly more educated about her rights. Well, and she kind her. of figures out what's happening to Martha and, and no one has ever been there to guide her or stand up for her before. And like, if you've only ever been treated poorly by people, then you don't know that, that you, you, sh- des- you deserve more and you yeah. should expect more. And like, and also like this is this is such a conversation around um nature versus nurture right because missy's character is so strong of will and even though she's her education has been slightly neglected because of the duties that she has at home being the eldest daughter so she within her family um and so she basically has to take care of her mother I kind of see them, even though the book is called Cousins, I see them as sisters. Yeah. So that confused me for a second. Which I think is, right. is part of well, that's, a Māori culture as well. well you know, cousins and, are very close. And basically a lot of cultures that aren't just Western cultures. You mm. know, Western culture is so individualistic. And there's so much to be said about the value of the iwi and the tribe. And I think we get a sense of that even in Crazy Rich Asians from earlier in the season. You know. Yeah, well there's so much more community and I think there's... I, you know, with you talking about all that you've been learning and going through with your master's program, it's um, obviously not every aspect has been perfect, but it is reassuring of things that are getting better. And I, you know, I'm a little bit angry that that I was raised in the 90s because of, you know, there was still, we're still having the debate now about whether or not today I should be taught as um, you a know, compulsory subject. Yeah, which it absolutely should. Like, no question in my mind. I, it would be so much more useful to me than the three years of French I took in high school. Like, yeah. that's just so bizarre. There is a perspective. Apparently, French is one of the high, one of the most highly spoken languages in New Zealand. It's because we all learned it all in high school. But um, <laughs> but what I was saying about you know, Marta, as a person. And Sunny, her husband, says this in the film about how she's so good and innocent. And it's like Missy is so much more empowered, even though she isn't necessarily, like, educated. I'm saying quotation marks. Like, sorry, I'm doing quotation marks. You can't see it. She's not, like, 
Eurocentrically educated. Yeah, as, but, but as well. she's like, she wasn't destined to be, you know, the princess that mm-hmm. Margareta was raised to be, but she, she became it because she was the strong leader that they needed. Yeah. You know, and it, for me, I always find it so interesting to think about how some people's character, like, is just innate, and some people are always going to be strong-willed, and some people are always going to be more, you know, just not gullible, but definitely more trusting. And so it's just so sad when people like Mata are just so taken advantage of because they're just so willing to think, oh, this is what I've been told. This is the right thing, you know? Mm. Yeah. Continue with the summary. Oh, no, I just I just want to sit in the sadness a little bit. Mata's story was definitely the saddest for me. Because yeah. I, th- I just think it's... But also the, the ending is really sad, but also really perfect. We're going to talk about that. Okay, so... Yeah. That's the ending, before mm-hmm. the summary, after the summary. <laughs> So then we get Margareta's story, and Margareta has been raised, as you said, to be the princess. She's the hope of She's her fucker papa. Referred to as the spoiled one. Yeah, <laughs> in the film. Um, also in here. Yeah, and she she's being groomed to be to take on the role of Keita, the grandmother, um, to be the leader, to be the matriarch of mm. her of her iwi. And to unite two iwis, but she doesn't know that necessarily. No, I... Her mother tries to take her away and raise her in Wellington. Um, but we don't get any of that. Do no, we? we don't get a lot of that. No. Because so, that's right. Because that's when Keita comes in, in the film, I was like, is that her mother? But then, of course... We don't really not. see her until the end. No, and her Polly. Yeah. We don't really get any of Polly. We get a very little bit of Polly and Rere's story when they're sitting in the woods together they talk about the men leaving for war yeah like and they use real bit. footage yeah that was yeah. really cool and that was really cool and that okay. boat is packed sorry this is no, so no, much yeah. to okay talk there about. is so margareta grows up she um she gets new dresses she gets new shoes she gets everything she, gets the education. she goes around to different places and hears the council speak and yeah. she do you know what she is she's the avatar in the least offensive way, she's the bridge between the Pakiha and the Maori world. She gets like at the end. Well, yeah, but also like she's raised to be that bridge, but then leaves. Yeah, because yeah. she doesn't want like. Oh, uh, sorry, I didn't know arranged marriages was a thing in Maori culture. I definitely don't. I assume that they're not as pro- um, prevalent now because of Western culture coming in and bulldozing a lot of things. Well, I think it's fair to say that it's definitely possible that they may have come to that conclusion on their own. Unsure. Yeah, it's it's, it's impossible to know. Unclear. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, but then, yeah, Margarita, Margarita yeah. finds out on her 20th birthday. Which she thinks is a birthday celebration, that she's actually been arranged betrothed, to marry. yeah. Via a letter from her mom. What with her mum telling her why she wasn't coming to the celebration, saying that she was upset that she hadn't been told that Makareta was getting married. Yes, and Makareta was like, like, I didn't no. even know. So she's like, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna, I'm gonna go to Wellington. And uh, we, 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 I felt like we missed in that scene quite a bit of like Polly, and uh, not Polly, um, Gloria crying and saying they're gonna blame it on me because I married a Pakia. Yeah, I thought there were a few scenes that. You know, and it's it's always interesting because this is what we talk about on the podcast. But like a director's adaptation of a piece of work in their view of something, it's not necessarily right or wrong. Um, but I definitely felt like there was some stronger 
scenes in the book that we didn't really get to experience in the film. We got some other beautiful but I think things. It, also, they cut out a lot of Gloria's story as well. Yeah. And they, the they, significance they, of her marrying they, the Pakeha. Yeah. They basically just focus on the three cousins, which, you know, it's what you do when you have a, like an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, we only kind of get a glimpse of it when yeah. Margareta leaves. Yeah. And then there's all that corridor in the fare about um, how Keita is to blame because yeah, she pushed Polly left and Anihara left. Yeah. And um, Gloria also didn't marry who she wanted. So yeah. it must be her fault because yeah. it's a pattern. Yeah. And um, she was the mother of all three, right? Yeah. Yeah. What I found really interesting, like reading Cousins, it kind of made me think about um, what did we just read? And it was about the mothers and their daughters, and they were the Chinese migrants to America. <laughs> um, the Joy Luck Club. The Joy Luck Club, you know? Yeah. It it's was, one of those stories that one struggled those... between two generations. Yeah. The generational differences, but also just... There's so much to talk about. We're not even getting through the summary. Well, it's really good. Yeah. It's really, and it's really important. I think it's my favorite book. Ever. Right now. It's definitely something that I should have read a long time ago. You can't blame yourself for not knowing. I blame my parents. Oh, come on. (laughs) They're going to listen to this and be like, hey, hey, but also. uh, Well, I think it's a part of a larger societal problem. Yes, of course. You always being the, um, you know, devil's advocate. Um, Okay, so so Makareta leaves and then we get Missy. Missy. Missy's got some sass. Yeah, Missy's got some sass. So, oh, Missy's chapter is so interesting. I love Missy in the movie. Yeah, I do too. So cute. So, so funny. But Missy's first chapter is told from the perspective oh, of her God. unborn twin. Of her, like, her... her um, Stillbirth? Yeah, twin. That Kui Hinamate, Hinamate hides from them. Gloria. From Gloria. And, from, like, from everyone. She's the only one who knows. Why? Why would she do that? It, there seems to have been a pattern of miscarriages, and I think she was trying to save her from some of the pain, maybe. Yeah, in that chapter, the stillborn... Because, because one of them is alive, you know? Yeah, the stillborn yeah. baby's perspective is so tragic, but so interesting. And Patricia yeah. Grace did such a beautiful... She's such a beautiful writer, and she talks about how they ultimately ended up being nine babies, but only seven survived, or five? Five. I feel like it's fewer than seven. But all of them are named after we get a we get we get buddies buddies is it buddy Bobby Bobby there's Bobby Gloria and Bobby the, the the partners we get Bobby we get to hear a little bit of Bobby's story how he names all of his kids after different battles that he fought in after the location of different battles that he fought in the war mm. which is quite tragic um what a weight to carry who there was Rere yeah Rere married Polly and they had Margareta. Gloria and Bobby married, and they had Missy, and then Anihara and the Pakiha man, whose name I don't think we ever find out. No. And they had Mata. Mata. But Polly and Rere were a good match, weren't they? They were. Yeah. So it was. But just, he died. He died. And then Polly left. But Polly left because she was then to be betrothed to her Rere's brother. brother, and he didn't want that either. Yeah. Because he always looked at her like a big sister. And so that's why she left. But that's why Margareta, Margareta was still seen. Like, she was still the... Is it a pure... Like, the the next in line? 
to essentially I, I well, okay i don't want to i don't know i don't know if i know exactly what it is but she was definitely chosen maybe because polly wasn't no no no. it's fine yeah okay. i was just curious i mean for me what it make i'm just thinking about like this really emphasizes which of course it does like the importance of fucker papa like i don't i mean i know my grandparents mainly on my mother's side but that's that's as far back as it goes you know I know that both my mother's parents, grandparents were from, like, came over on a ship from somewhere in Europe. I know very little about my dad's side of the family. Like, I just, for me, I it makes me think about, like, how much of myself is me and how much is of the people that I'm from. Sure. I think that's a good thing to, to think about that. I mean, but also, I don't feel connected to any of my ancestry. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Mm. I don't think I have to feel connected to my ancestry mm. to know who I am because that's not part of my culture and it's not part of my identity. But I think that for a lot of Māori it is and, and we should be helping them to find that. Anyway, we have to get through the whole summary so we can actually start the podcast. Nah. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to do the summary. Okay. We're not going to have interjections. No, we're a- not going to have analysis. All right. Okay. I'm going to sit. You're just going to sit. Okay, okay, so. We're at Missy. Missy, um, Missy, we didn't even really get into it, but Missy's chapter is told from the perspective of her um, uh, miscarriage twin, and there's a lot of her not knowing her place, not knowing where she fits in, because she's not the chosen one, and then when Makareta leaves, she stands up and she says, I want it to be me, and she saves the day, and it is a beautiful moment, and I think we get a lot of the sense of like unsureness she 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 doubts whether or not she really can do it mm. whether she was really destined to be there yeah and she has a conversation with no okay and then we go back to Makareta and we hear Makareta's life she becomes a nurse she struggles yes. with that because um she's doing a lot of things that aren't in line with her tikonga like touching dead people that aren't related to her um but she sees the ghost of um kuiya hinamate looking after her and telling her what to do and how to do it respectfully she says a lot of karakia um at the right time and um and then she meets her husband who's pakiha they have kids um twins yeah maybe yeah um and she gives them Pakiha names, like Kate and Michael or something. And she that doesn't is, teach them. It is them Kate and Michael, yes. Tadeo. No. Um, and they then, ask you when they're 14, why don't we know how to speak today? Yeah. And, and she then she ask. becomes an activist. Yes. She starts marching. She starts fighting. The chapter in of Makareta, her second chapter, reads like a manifesto from Patricia Grace, like an indictment of Pakiha between I'm surprised you didn't 1940 read that, and 1980. Well, I'm sure we're going to grab some pieces out of there later. Anyway. Then we go back to Missy. We find out what Missy's been up to, how she feels about being married, what she starts to do, and the children that she has. Mm-hmm. Um, and the connections that she has with Makareta, they stay in touch. She's always encouraging Makareta to come home. Um, but they haven't found Mata yet. And then mm. we get Mata's chapter. And Mata um, is found by Makareta. 
which we see at the beginning of the book, and this is it coming full circle. It had to start and end with Marta, which is beautiful. Yes. But Marta doesn't want to go home because she doesn't feel like she has a home, and she's scared. She's scared of wanting anything. Yes. Because everyone she's known has left or died. Yes, because Ada dies, um, and... Um, Sunny leaves. We find out that Jean finds her and gives her a kid, her kid for a while. And, and she Martha loves, loves the kid. And then she loves being a Jean mother. comes back when she's ready to be a mom again and takes the kid away and Martha's left all alone. But she has him for like six months or years. Years. I thought years. it was years. Yeah. Uh, um, like multiple years. So she loves him and then, oh God, it's fucking gross. And then, um, and then Martha's all alone again. So she takes her shoes and a, um, photo frame and then she finds Margareta and Margareta wants her to come home back to... Um, their land, the land of their ancestors, and she doesn't want to. And I think that's why Margareta has to die, because Margareta maybe understands, not on a conscious level, but on a subconscious level, that if she dies, Marta will take her home and then she will stay. Mm. And so it is through Margareta's death, that's the last thing that she does for her family, for her papa, for her iwi, she dies and brings Marta home and they are reunited Finally, they had three weeks together as children, and then this. Very good. Yeah, and that's the thing. So, good summary. Do you want to give us the details? Sure. <laughs> okay. Originally published in 1992, the film's been released in 2021 in March in New Zealand. I'm not sure if it's a global release. I'm sure it is at other festivals and that kind of thing. It's probably not as widespread, unfortunately. No, unfortunately. Because I think this film would, should be received in the States. I think there's a lot of work we have to do with our indigenous mm. peoples. Yes. Uh, it was um, sponsored by the New Zealand Film Commission. Um, grossed currently $684,000. I'm not sure what the budget would have been. Um, a lot of it was filmed in Rotorua, um, which has been very good it's actually been a kind of an odd phenomenon that the new zealand film industry and economy has been very good through this pandemic we've had things like baby done and it's been quite interesting because obviously we've had um one of the most open economies um consistently consistently in the world at the moment and we've you know been able to make um film and television with, uh, and that's debatable whether or not people should be allowed to come in, you know, from overseas. Um, but it's, you know, it's happening and that's how it is. But supposedly bringing in $4 million to the Rotorua uh, economy alone in 2021. So that's pretty great. Um, 9 out of 10 on IMDb, which is awesome. Um, doesn't have a rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, like we've talked about, it's not um, as worldwide distributed or known as it should be. There are a lot of actresses. Are, you, are we going we gonna to do this? Uh, yeah, so directed by um, Ainsley Gardner and Briar Grace Smith. Who also wrote it and who, started Who it. was also the screenplay writer, Briar Grace Smith, and played adult uh, Makarita, and is also the daughter of Patricia Grace. Um, the, the, with each character... I have a little fact about Patricia Grace. Okay. Um, she was the first Māori woman to publish a novel. I'm not surprised. That's disturbing. 1990... Tony was that 30 years ago stop clicking I know I'm sorry yes but but amazing she's yeah. a talented very deserves it um, oh I love this book so much yes um obviously in the film there are three actresses that play each 
character because we get to see them as a child and then as a young adult and then um, grown woman. Tane Hiki plays Mata as an adult. Um, Rachel House plays Missy as an adult. And Briar Grace Smith plays Margarita as an adult. Anna Scottney plays Mata as a teenager. And T. Rakura Gray plays Mata as a child. I think particularly the child actors... And I, I'm sorry, if I'm getting this wrong, I'm sorry. I'm just assuming because of the way they, the order that they're written and that that's... And I know for the fact that the top ones are the adults, so I'm going backwards. I just thought the child actors in this were wonderful. I did too. Like, I, I thought that um, Child Missy was just such a delight. Harieta Moriarty played Teenage Missy. Kiahane Patrick Williams <laughs> um, played Child Missy. Um, Teori... Oh, crap. Teoriorio. Yeah, Tio Reo Reo, Melbourne, played um, Teenage Makarita, and Mihi Te Rahu Daniels played um, Child Makarita. Um, wonderful. There are obviously so many more <laughs> actors and characters in the film. But yeah. Let's just talk about those because there's so many. Okay, um, so how do you rate the film as an adaptation of the book? A six. Great. Why? I think the film is wonderful and I think it's very important and I think many more people will see the film than read the book because that is how humans function, especially in this technology-driven world. But I think there is a lot of... Like, the book made me deeply sad in really profound ways that the film still made me very sad, especially when um, Missy and Martha are reunited. That made me cry. And I think it's hard to capture the same feelings. And what is it? When you read a book, it impacts you and you get a message from the author that is so complicated. I think it's really hard to capture in a film. Hmm. And this book is so complicated and important that while the film is wonderful, it's not the book. Yeah. I think I'd give it an eight and a half. Okay. Yeah. Go for it. I think that we have to make allowances for what a film was able to do. That's fine. I can... I, I'm still saying the film is good. Yeah. I, well, I just think... Um, but I think this is an eight and a half in terms of what a film is going to capture from a book that's as deep and interwoven and as detailed and, uh, and intricate as this one is. Well, it should be a TV series. Well, it'll, well then we wouldn't have you out of a job. You know, this isn't a job. Don't let me get paid to do this. It's my job. <laughs> You're not paying me well enough. Um, and I, I think this is an eight and a half. I do think that there were a few scenes where the dialogue didn't feel true. It didn't feel yeah. real. Um, but I think that in general, it captures the heart of it. I think that um, the filmmakers did a great job of capturing Mata's story. And the poetry and the rhythm of her narrative with the... They added the um, the little nursery rhyme. Yeah, that was interesting. The and counting. Then, yeah, there was, there was a real rhythm to the shot. And then there was a lot of poetic shots I loved. Marta was perfect, I think. Straight through the way that she was portrayed as a child, um, as a teenager, as an adult. Stunning. What I thought was interesting, right? With teenage Marta, she's very pretty. Do you think she is that pretty in the book, but she just thinks so little of herself? She thinks she's ugly? Absolutely. Okay. 
she That's has been wanted to ask. raised to believe Especially because that her very existence is unchristian. Yes. And also, I think you're right because people say that she looks like Makareta. And people yeah. always talk about how Makareta is so beautiful. Yeah. I think there's a lot of internalized loathing that Martha has. Yeah. I thought that the film was a bit slow to start. But I think for me... Okay, but as an adaptation. I understand. But I just want to say that as someone who knows Wellington and like they were just filming on Cuba Street a lot, it kind of took me out of it in a way that was interesting because I was like, she's just walking up a dead Cuba Street, (laughs) you know? Do you feel that way because you were raised here? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Do you and and not only that, do you feel that way because you're so used to seeing films set in America, maybe maybe the UK, maybe London at a stretch, mm. that you almost don't recognize a film set in your own country as being a film? Absolutely. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's like, you know, it's it's too close to So that's to not home. a problem with the film. It's just like, oh, this doesn't make sense. I this doesn't make sense. It's it's my story. It's no. Too- I'm not saying it doesn't make sense. Hmm. And I'm pretty sure in one of the shots you see a wow um, banner in the background. And I was like, oh, this was filmed during the World of Wearable Arts Festival. And so, <laughs> you know, and when she, and Marta's walking past the, the classic fountain on Cuba Street. And then there's a bit of um, a shop that's boarded up. And it just made me think about, I was like, did they block off the street for this? Did they just get people who were there to sign leases? Is that musician an actor? Or was he just someone already playing on the street? And that's what I was thinking about during those shots. Oh, they probably blocked up parts of the street, yeah. Yeah. But I they really... do that in New York and Chicago and Seattle and places like that when they film there. In yeah. LA. Um, we talked a little bit about that. It, it seemed as though Marta had some um, behaviours that were um, maybe part of the autism spectrum. Like when she would... What she does in the film is she goes to a street light... And she's wearing her sandals and she pushes the pedestrian button. And when the green man starts blipping, she puts her sandals in her pockets and then waits for the red... I don't like like to say man, but it is a man. Like, you know... Figure icon. Person. Not an icon. Just an outline. Um, When the red one starts blipping, she then picks up her bag and starts walking. Which Mm. is why she nearly... And she's saying the poem. Yeah. And that's why she nearly gets hit by the bus, which makes Makareta look... And recognize her. Yeah. I mean, I think I think there's definitely a possibility that. Or, you know, as we talked about, maybe she ne- because of the severe trauma that she's faced, she never progressed past yeah. a childhood state of mind. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's possible. Yeah. I think... Okay. <laughs> but what scenes, what scenes do you think... What do you think was captured well? Okay, great. I loved... Um, the dynamic between the three cousins as children. I thought, like, Missy was a bit cheeky and Mata mm. was real quiet. And then Mata... Don't had, touch that. Yeah. Don't touch that or smack your nose. And she's playing with all these things. And then she's like, no, you don't touch. Um, and then... My grandma's house. My cousin, Makareta. And then Makareta comes in and she's like, be nice. And, you know, she's the carer. She's the eldest. Yeah. Um, and is, you know taking Mata around and can see that she's kind and soft-spoken and is, you know, the dynamic between the three of them is so beautiful and I think it's so wonderful to think about the potential of children and, you know, even though Missy is being a bit mean to Mata, it's it's just because she's used to, like, you know, being a bit 
not mistreated, but kind of like do the chores, Missy, get this done, Missy. So when someone younger than her comes and she kind of wants to be the boss because she's, you know, but Missy, she's so responsible. Like she, she, she kind of, she consoles her mother when she Mm. has a miscarriage. Like she's a beautiful character. She's such a beautiful person. But yeah, I think you're, I think you're dead right. I think that Missy is like her whole life. She's in the shadow of Macareta. Yeah. Macareta doesn't have to do any chores, Missy does. Yeah. Macareta gets all the attention, Missy doesn't. Macareta gets new clothes, Missy doesn't. Macareta gets an education, Missy doesn't. Yeah. She's always made aware of her standing. And then this new cousin comes in, Mata, and Mata also doesn't have to do chores because she's a cousin, but she's also a guest. Yeah. And Missy's like, when's it my turn? Yeah, 100%. And so she uses that power because... She's never had power over yeah. anyone before. But ultimately... Besides her brother and sisters, which is less fun. Well, also, her brothers... She, like, it gets talked about in the book that her brothers get to, like, you know, do this fun stuff that she doesn't get to do because she's helping her mum all the time. Mm. And, you know, that's an interesting commentary on Wahine and, you know, how um, women are taking care of everything in every culture. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it also... It serves Missy well when she eventually takes... Um, her place to join the land and the families because then she knows she knows how to get things done she knows what to do she yeah she can be the boss well it, it you know in the book she talks about not feeling like she was destined for that role but in a lot of ways it feels like she was yeah she's well, she, making she a sacrifice was. yeah and that's what she's been doing her whole life exactly. she's been sacrificing her own desires her yeah. own needs for the good of her family. Yeah. Her whanau. Because in the book it talks about how she likes school. Mm. But she doesn't get to go a lot because the European school doesn't understand why she misses so much school. And it's because she's busy helping with yeah. her whanau. And, um, and like when her mom has the miscarriage, that's why yeah. she misses school. And there's such a disconnect between yeah. the Pākehā school and their expectations and the tikanga of Māori. Mm. And you were talking about this the other week, which I thought was so... It's, it's honestly a perspective that is so obvious, but something I'd never considered before. Because you were talking about in your classes about how there is um, such a huge drop-off with university numbers um, that are mainly filled by either migrant students or um, Pākehā New Zealanders, but there's hardly any Māori or Pacific Islanders. And you were talking about how while that may be technically true, it's not really, like, we're measuring um, Māori and Pacific Islanders by European standards. Yeah, by an expectation of what is, how, like, the expectation of success success as measured by European success standards, yeah. which, are, which are different. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. In the movie, I also really loved the... And it, sorry, just carrying on with this. Yeah. Um, Margareta goes to university, and yes. even though um, her Fano are proud of her, Kate is proud of her, um, that isn't necessarily the most successful path she could have taken. Mm. Right, or the path that they wanted her to take. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked the scene with Mata coming home and Missy um, going out to greet her and console each other over Margareta's death. And they had the same shot that they, you know, described in the book um, with Mata and Missy sitting on either side of the coffin with Makareta in it. And I thought that, that was beautiful and so mm. sad. 
I agree. I'm, I really missed out on the shots of all of their ancestors being present in the room when Margareta dies. Yeah. And then again at the Marai mm. when, when Margareta is brought home by Mata. Mm. Um, and I also miss Sunny's involvement in that. I missed that final sense. You know, it reminded me, it reminded me of um, disobedience. And... Uh, oh, yes. The relate... Yeah. Yep. What's Keep his going. name? Which one? The main character. Remy... Ronit. Ronit. Yes. I knew I would get there. Um, Ronit doesn't know what to do when her father dies. She doesn't remember. And Mata... Do- and, and there's that that sense of, of floating. No. Ronit knows what to do. She just isn't part of it. Like, Well, she knows some, some parts of it, but she doesn't remember all of it. Right. But yeah, she, she feels disconnected from it. And then yeah. at the end, it, it helps her to yeah. light the candles. And Mata doesn't have that. She doesn't know what to do. When Margareta dies, but she knows there's something that needs to be done. Mm. It's that. Uh, I thought it was really interesting when Marta was already outside of the house. Like the shot didn't. There seemed to be a shot missing. Like Margareta puts Marta to bed, and then it's night time, and then we see Marta outside the house. But she turns around and goes back in. And then the book is described really well. Like she's used to following her feet. And her feet lead her back inside, but she doesn't know why. And then she realizes it's because Makarete has died. Hmm. But in the film, we just see her already outside the house. And I feel like there was a shot missing. Oh, yeah, I agree. I felt like that wasn't conveyed as well. I think you're right. I think they were trying to suggest that she was going to leave, but that something was holding her back. Yeah. Um, I also just loved all of the beautiful landscape shots. And, oh. and um, You have need a film to convince you to move to New Zealand. <laughs> Honestly. Well, that's why all the, you know, like Avatar and um, Lord of the Rings and stuff and um, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe are all filmed here for the landscapes. It's beautiful. Um, You're going to see a lot of it when we go away this weekend. I'm doing my first. You'll see see, because the West Coast, well, it's raining, but still. I'm doing my first placement in Kaikoura, which is a a wee ways outside of Christchurch, but still with, of Otatahi, but still within Canterbury. Um, Canterbury is so it's so big. It's so big. And everyone has been telling me how beautiful Kaikoura is. And I've been like, oh, yeah, it's it'll be nice. But honestly, the ocean is the most breathtaking color of, like, teal blue. Mm. And it's like you're kind of in a cove yeah. surrounded by these and the rocks, massive mountains. It, it, and the, the forest is so thick. Yeah. I think it would have made Tennyson weep you know, it's beautiful <laughs> i the scene in the film where missy um literally shoots at oh the, yes that was the so good. surveyors mm. that's very funny yeah i really like that and i just think there was the, yeah there, there was a character to the older women that i really appreciated especially yeah. to missy yeah i like that a lot i yeah what i mean did you expect to be disappointed no i wasn't but i wasn't disappointed sure i wasn't disappointed but also I knew that I wouldn't be because from my, and and this might be a bit naive, but I think in New Zealand today, if you, whoever you were, obviously this was made, the film was directed and the screenplay was written by um, Petrie Grace's daughter, but it would be. Patricia Grace. Who's (laughs) (laughs) Petrie Grace is someone else that. Is a wonderful singer-songwriter. Sorry about that. Grace Petrie. Oh, my God. <laughs> What's wrong with me? I'm sorry. Um, my apologies. Um, it would be very bad for you 
to make this film and not do it properly in New Zealand today. I agree. So I, I, I was very prepared to enjoy the film and for it to be very sad and serious because, but, and I wasn't disappointed in it. Like, I, I think what your point was is very valid. Like, you know, films aren't books and they can't capture or give us what books give us. But you get the essence of it. You get that. You, you do. I think you get the weight, the, especially the, the, how close they were to all being together. I think the weight of that crashes down on you. I think it just makes me so sad with the idea of like missed time. And miss opportunity. Yeah. And, I, and I think that that's one of the... Ooh, that's a big statement that I'm not going to say. But I think it's a terrible thing that colonizers have done is take away the time of... Like, they've robbed generations. I think... But I think that's that was the significance. That's why I really felt like the image of all the ancestors standing together with the three wahine on the marae was so significant for me because it almost gives you that sense of connectedness, of continuity, of Margareta has passed away, but she's not gone. Mm. She's not gone for them. And and I think... She joined her whakapapa. Well, yeah, she she joined her ancestors. She, yeah. But also, she's always connected to that land. So as long yeah. as Mata and Missy are there, Margareta is with them and they feel her. Yeah, and that's beautiful. Um, it, it doesn't. It certainly does not take away. No, no, and I, I know, and I know you're not saying that. I think for me, what I what it makes me think of is the fact that I am an atheist. Sure. And so, while I, I think Maori culture and tradition has so much more value than Christianity, I really think it does because a lot of the, like, I believe our friend Abby posted about how Pacific Island people, in their religions, they do not have hell. Or the equivalent, and so there isn't this guilt associated with higher gods and beings and religion. I think that's beautiful, and I think Christianity has ruined a lot of people's lives. That's some big statements that I'm saying. <laughs> well, I think that there are people within Christianity who have expressed the power of guilt more than the power of forgiveness, and I think there are people within Christianity who have expressed the power of forgiveness as being the defining characteristic of Christianity. Yeah. And I think it's unfortunate that some people in power have abused that message. Absolutely. My point, sorry, my point, which I should stick to and stop saying these dangerously big statements that often get me into trouble, um, <laughs> I should just say that for me, it, it doesn't, you know, the fact that they will return to their land is beautiful, but it doesn't make up for no. the time that was stolen from them. No, I can't. If I think about it, I'll cry. Yeah. Like, I this is one of those books that had me crying from the very beginning, especially with Mata, that guilt that she feels of not being Christian enough from a young age. And I being told she didn't fit in anywhere, you know? Yeah. I don't think I was ever told, but there, I always had that internal sense in my mind mm. that I was never going to be pure enough. Yeah. So I can I can really relate to that. Um, and I can imagine. I feel like life is too short all the time. I always have. And uh, I, would, I would feel such... And you can't. You can't just feel a sense of regret for time lost. Like, I mean, I throw a hissy fit about the fact that I spent the first 22 years of my life without curry in it. And <laughs> you said curry. I said curry. Okay. All right. That's not where I thought that was going, but that's all right. Um, so to, to, you know, to think about spending the first 22 years, the first 60 years of your life 
feeling disconnected, feeling displaced from her personhood. Mm. Um, Yeah. I can't. (laughs) Another scene in the film that I really liked um, was the kind of brief glimpse that we get into Missy's arranged marriage Mm. as adults. Oh, yes. And that was so sweet. And what what was his name? Hamuera. Yeah. Um, between Missy and Hamurera. Hamuera. Hamuera. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Missy says a comment about how if um, Makareta had stayed, that he would have had better behaved grandchildren. And he makes a, a joke about how he would have left Ma- Makareta for Missy anyway. And yeah. they would have had the same grandchildren. And, and it was just so lovely. For me... Brand- That's the little window we get of Missy feeling like she can't measure up because she was never intended for that role. But yeah. it's so much deeper in the book. Yeah, it is. And it's really beautiful. And I really like that, you know, when Brie and I, we were driving home after watching the film. We just watched it today. Um, and we were both worried about the sexual violence that might be in the book and in the film because it's you know common it's common and it's a stereotype but like um you know I what I really appreciated about both the book and the film was that it didn't go there and also that like the trauma that is experienced is still so bad like we talk about this when we read a book and a child goes through trauma and then we see a film and the trauma is made worse by something, you know? Mm. We talk about how unnecessary it is because it's like you don't need to make something so kind of unrealistically bad. Like, Mata has so many people mistreat her, but she's not, like, beaten or anything. But what she experiences is still horrific. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know... Humans like to go to such extremes or like to think in such black and whites. But it's really important to be told these stories that are, while it's still very clear um, about the mistreatment of Māori people and culture within New Zealand history and heritage, but it's still like... You get to see how subtle and nefarious yeah, the racism is. Because it, it can be. like It's yeah. not always this big overt thing. And sometimes the subtle things are almost worse because they're harder to get people to understand or believe. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I've been taking a tikanga class, but I think it's really hard. You know, I'm going to quote the book. I think it's been really hard for me to... Yeah, you should read Marcus's piece. Um, get an understanding of tikanga. I've, always, I've, I've felt the whole time that I was like, oh, I just... I feel like it's just words on a page rather than me being able to really take it in. And I feel like this book has helped me. I'll never be able to really understand no. what it is to be Māori. And that's fine. But I, I do think this book has given me a better glimpse than than anything that I've learned so far. And I'm going to use this quote. And this book is stunning. It really... I... <laughs> it's so beautiful. Mm. And it's so necessary. And it's so needed. We, you know, we need to be teaching this book in schools we need students to read this and to connect with the characters but I'll just read this there were frustrating times and good times there were times when I was away from home for days on end times when Mick and I saw each other as one arrived and one departed from an airport but I felt the importance of the work I was doing I had been given knowledge understandings in my childhood that I knew I must share yet all the time there were obstacles because culture is deep it is deep Even the remnants or the memories of it are deep. 
It is not something that can be adequately explained to those of another culture, but neither should it need to be explained, I think. It only needs, at least, to be allowed to let be, to be trusted. And I think, you know, there are so many, you know, yeah. Um, oh, I want to, there's also a different bit that I really want. The outward signs of the distress of our people were there in the streets. For years we had been told through statistics and through the media of our lowly position, our poverty, our bad health, our underachievement, our unemployability and our criminality. We didn't need to have these things spelled out to us because we were living them or living next to them every day. There were things I'd seen and heard talked about when I was a child. Now our sorrow, our powerlessness and our destination were out there in the streets for everyone to see. There in the streets, groups of men terrorised each other, brutalised the women that lived with them and caused fear wherever they went. They were the beaten, the hollowed out of our people. The Rawakoi, the truly disinherited, where nothing substantial was inbuilt and nothing was valued or marvellous, where there was no memory, where the void had been defiled by the inrushing of anger and weeping. No one had loved their hair. Or, if sometimes they were not the disowned and disinherited, they were those who had learned to look at who they were in distorted mirrors, had seen awry reflections of themselves and had become traumatised, and their stories of self-hatred were told in their foulness and self-defacement, their maiming and their havoc. They guarded what was left, what was left of themselves with weapons, high walls and dogs. I could read this whole chapter. Yeah, we could just we could just read the whole chapter. If it, I I think um if you if you are not a keen reader and you don't want to read the whole book, reading Makareta's last chapter yeah. would be worth it. Like I think it could stand alone as a short story almost. I think a lot of the chapters could stand alone as a short story. Yeah. Um we should start closing however this episode. Well, we have to okay, how would you rate the film as a film? 9 yeah up there I, it's a, I think it's an important film it's an important film yeah it's there's nothing more to be said everyone should watch it I really I think so I'd like to talk about a couple of things all right um first of all the imagery in this film is beautiful yes they do a lot of close shots of people's faces which I really appreciate I love the color use yeah like Mata is green Missy is red and Makareta is blue yeah but it comes in and goes like all the time yeah um there's a nice circularity to the film there's a marble that i think represents something in the book their connection there's um a chapter because mata finds the marble and she gives it to one of their cousins not many yeah to many and they all wanted the marble and maybe Maybe that marble means respect or belonging or beauty or love. They all want the marble and she finds it and it's hers. It's something that she has by right and she gives it away. And then there's a chapter later on where Makareta says it's time for Mata to have the marble again. You know, they talk about the depth of the marble and the beauty of the marble and like it's a whole world inside that marble. They love staring into it and looking at the colours and... In the movie, she leaves it under her pillow for Missy to find it. Missy has the marble. And then at the end, there's a scene of them swimming in the creek in the river. And it's Mata, like... she's this... the Tanifa! Yeah. 
Um, but it's also they're swimming in the they're swimming in the marble. The colours of the marble are there, yeah. like ribbons woven through the water, connecting them together. Yeah. Um, and it you know they they're in the marble. They are the marble. Their world. They've always been connected. And um, I thought that was really well expressed in the film. I thought that there was such a beauty to that. I thought the costuming was well done. I think that teenage Margaret is a babe in her 60s, 70s outfit. <laughs> um, yeah. She looks like a cool chick. Yeah. She's very empowered. Yeah. And I like that a lot. Like, there's a shot of her getting, like, um, I think in a dormitory or something, she's debating with... Uh, a white boy about Maori lands and how they've been mistreated and then like she also there's a scene where she gets out of a boy's bed mm. and I like that I think I I would love to watch it again I feel like I didn't catch enough of it mm. um, I always feel that way with films that are as beautifully and intricately designed there's a carefulness with which they filmed I think something I really liked is the first time that Mata is is can you say hongid as a as a verb? The first time I she, don't think you would say hongid. The first time she experiences a hongi yeah. with her grandmother. And originally she's very anxious and you can see she can't relax. Yeah, the perspective they choose with the with the camera being her grandmother so that but or the ca- the camera being Mata's eyes is really stunning. Yeah, but then you see her visibly relax as almost she realizes that she's safe and she's home and she mm. is like in a place where she should be. Yeah. I thought that was a beautiful shot. Yeah, I think it's important for us to get a sense of Marta beginning to feel comfortable there because then the depth of pain that we feel at her being taken away again is so much greater. Yes. Because um, she's happy there. Yeah. She is. She could have had a happy life. She was so close. And they shouldn't have. Oh, she represents so many Māori. Yes. Uh, this story represents so many Māori who were taken away from their Fano, who still cannot find out their fuck papa because their records don't exist. They've been sealed. They've been misplaced or n- not managed well. And I think that's tragic because if you do feel connected to your fuck papa, as I'm sure that many Māori do, it's like having a part of yourself missing. That's exactly what it is. So. I think this story is coming out at a great... I think this film is coming out at a great time. Mm, it's an interesting time. Mm. The wheels of change are slow. But they are turning. But they are turning. I think Aotearoha currently has an initiative in place where Te Reo will be implemented in all primary schools by mm. 2022. And about $70 million has been invested in it. You know, you were talking about um, the language being accessible in schools. Yes. There is an argument from somebody um, who feel that their language is a tonga, yes. a treasure. Yes. And that they're concerned that if it's forced on people, they won't respect it as well. Yes. I'm obviously not the authority on this. From my personal perspective, um, I had a conversation with someone else about this. I think it was my brother. And I talked about how what I hope would happen is that through learning the language, you would learn more about the culture. Well, I think there's a really good 
YouTube video that we've shared that I'll share as part of this where she talks about you can't just learn Māori and not learn about the history. The history, like she talks about tamariki and how in English that just translates to children. Child. But, you know, it's so much more than that. Like it's like, Sit on my stop knee. it, stop it. I will tell you a story. I'm trying to say something. Sorry, you, you are, you're trying to say something important, I'm being rude. Yes, you are. Um, she talks Sorry, about, miss. Oh, my God. Shut up. She talks about how tamariki actually means many things, like spark of light or joy or small chief or promise. Mm. And it's about all the things that children can one day become. And it is so much more beautiful than English. English is kind of a bastard language, really. But so what I'm, what I, why I bring that up is because I hope that... Um, through learning Tereo in schools, it would help bridge a lot of people who need to be educated on how privileged they are and how wrong they are about many things. And I also think, in general, it's harder to be racist towards a group of people when you can speak their language. Definitely. I, I think it's still possible. But it is. But and, and again, I'm not the authority on this. That is my personal, and I'm more than happy to be corrected yeah of course yeah absolutely always. always we're always ready to be corrected um but we are trying to learn and um we don't put that on Māori. no what i am an authority on is myself and the last airbender yes <laughs> um i think i think i think that learning today i agree with you is um a window to tikanga for yeah. Māori, and I think it's a valuable lesson for everyone to receive. Um, but I understand but I want it imbued it's complicated. with the respect that it deserves yes. when it's being taught. Absolutely. So, I don't know, lo- lots of stuff. Lo- not as much structure, because it's hard. It's hard with a, a book that I think means it's all so good. much. It's all good. With this episode, but um, should you remake, revamp, retire? Yes. Should we say it on three? Yep. One, One, two, two three, three, retire. It's good. It's, it's good. It's wonderful. It's Keep beautiful. making more. more films. Keep telling more of these stories. I've had. If I never in my life saw a film again about a strong white man fighting some sort of war or battle in a really pretty arena, like, you know, I've already seen so many for all the other genres and people and cultures to catch up, I would need to be watching them for the rest of my life. Mm. I think it's getting better, you know. We had that delightful confusion about the half of it in our other episode. That was wonderful. That other film starring an Asian teenager that's a coming-of-age film. Oh, yeah. That was fun. The lesbian. Yeah. Lesbian Asian. But, um, yeah, definitely we need more. We need more made with... Um, respect. Mm. What? Okay, um, that was. A, I'm going to start a different topic in this episode. Will never end. So let's end because it will never end otherwise. Okay, what do we have coming up next? Can you say the title? It's the Guernsey uh, Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, which is a World War Two novel, but from the perspective of women, isn't it? Uh, I mean, it's definitely told the narrative of a woman. Who's okay. the main character, Juliet? Um, I'm halfway through it right now, but it, it includes right? a lot of stories. Yeah, it 
sad. Because this film... Because it's a war Cousins story. is interesting because it fits both our season two and 2021 categories. Yes, it does. But is it a 2021? It's a 2021 one, but it it works beautifully into season two. Yeah, not that it, it doesn't matter. We categorize them for no reason. Yeah. They could literally not be categorized. <laughs> yeah. Except, Brett, I like lists. I do. I like categories. Um, so thank you so much for listening to this very important chapter one, take two episode. Um, we have a Facebook page, an email, chapter one, take two at outlook.com. You, if you Google chapter one, take two, you can find us. If you want to share anything with us, tell us about something we've done wrong. And so we can apologize for it. We will do that every time we are to, um, Pakeha. Pakeha Wahine, who are part of the rainbow community and have definitely had our own experiences of, you know, life and trauma, but we are, we have white privilege. Absolutely. And, and we want to be better. And I, mm. I always, I feel like Bria is making me better, <laughs> holding me accountable. Um, this has been a wonderful episode. Um, last week we had our first live show. Um, and that went really well. So thank you to all our lovely um, audience yeah. members. Yeah, no, audience. I just forgot the word. Great. Thank you to our lovely audience and the amazing Ray Shipley, who um, was our co-host. We will be having another live show in September. Um, I'll leave that more of a mystery. Kia ora, uh, everyone. Thanks for listening. I've been Maddie. I've been Brianna. Um, see you later. Happy day. <laughs>